This show is a production of Migration Media. To learn more about us and see a complete list of our shows, visit migrationmedia.net. From Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Nut butters were never supposed to be a part of Meredith Side's life. But then again, neither was living abroad. Not wanting to choose the path that most other people in her small town followed, moving from high school into trades, farming, or beauty school, she moved to Philadelphia for college, did a semester abroad in Europe, and then, on a whim, decided to spend a gap year before going to medical school teaching English in China. Five years later, she still doesn't know what her own blood type is, but she knows what her passion is, and it's nut butters. She's the co-founder of Naked Nut Butters, a purveyor of all natural nut butters in China. And far from having any desire to go back home, she's discovered that she enjoys the uncertainty of the expat life. She doesn't want to feel nailed down by the expectations of her home culture. And with her business taking off, she's fully invested in life overseas. And nut butters. I'm always impressed by expat entrepreneurs. They're such a resourceful bunch. Starting a business is a challenge no matter where you are, but doing it in a foreign country adds a level of difficulty that is hard for folks who have never traveled abroad to imagine. And Meredith is a cut above all the great startup owners that I've met so far. I'm excited to introduce her to you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Meredith Sides. Meredith Sides, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thank you for having me. Where is home? Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> you say that as if you didn't know it was coming. I, di- I had no idea. How did I even get here? Um, okay, where is home? I thought about that. And I would say since for most of my adult life, I've lived in Beijing. And Beijing is a place where I, if I leave and travel elsewhere, I fly back into. It's a place where I feel most at home and relieved to be here. So I'd say Beijing is home. You are the first person that had like that many, like you've really dug into the issue and thought about it logistically. Oh no, really? Okay. No, this is not, oh no, I'm telling you, everyone is different. Okay. And I'm, I I love this very, I love the, I love I the really variety. I thought a lot about it. You did, and yeah. congratulations. Wanted to be prepared. <laughs> We're all very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I kind of feel the same way. Like I, Beijing is where I fly in and out of, but living overseas makes me feel more like I am of the place I'm from, even yeah. though I don't think I could live there. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point because I do, every time I go home, like to the States where I'm originally from, then I'm like, yeah, okay, I know I am one of you and you are my people and this is where I have been for 20 something years of my life, but I feel the most relief, like I said, like flying back into Beijing because I have my dog here, I have my good friends here, like I have my work here. So I think, yeah, this is my home. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I had that feeling. I I think it was, it was either the first or second time I went back to the States. I can't remember which one, but I do remember distinctly thinking, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And I was actually in Boston. Yeah. And I was thinking I want to go home. And yeah. I was like, holy crap, where'd that come from? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. So where are you from originally? How did how did how did Meredith Sides get from wherever the hell she came from to Beijing? Okay, so I was originally born in Florida, but I'm not one of those weird you're not, Florida people you're you not read Florida about. Florida woman. News. You're not no. Florida woman. No, no, no. I only lived there for a couple of years. And then so I'm from Maryland, which is on the East Coast. And people think of Maryland as like, oh, okay, so like Baltimore, Annapolis. I'm not from there. I'm from the farming rural community. You're from the West Virginia part of Maryland. K- 
Kinda. So like, there's nothing to do where I'm from. The closest movie theater is like an hour drive. So the only thing there is to do is to like do drugs or get pregnant. Uh, I didn't do either of those things. Okay. Um, but that is where I'm from. Right. And not very trendy girl, were you? No. I mean, I guess yeah. That's right. I was too cool to get <laughs> pregnant in high school. <laughs> you weren't cool enough. <laughs> I or I wasn't cool. Or nobody wanted. No, <laughs> um. So yeah, my my high school was right next to a cow farm. So on hot summer days, because I don't think there was AC in the high school, they would open the windows and then it would just smell like cow shit. So that would, that's a distinct memory. <laughs> so raised in Maryland, but then I went to university. So a lot of people from my high school, they don't go to university. They go on to farm or like beauty school or something like that. So I really wanted to get away from all that. So I went to university in Philly and then I fell in love with living in a city. And then one of my good friends, I met my freshman year. He, when we were graduating, he said he was coming to China to teach English for a year. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to come with you because I was going to go on to medical school. So I was like, oh, I'll take a gap year, teach English, come back, do med school. And so, yeah, so we came here in 2011 and I have not gone to medical school. I was say, you don't, you don't strike me as the doctor type. I am not a doctor. <laughs> almost Dr. Meredith, they call me. That's, that's oh almost Dr. Meredith. So, yeah, so I just fell in love with Beijing. You know, you've been here for so long. It's like a black hole. It just sucks you in. It so. does. Yeah. It's, 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 if it was a drug, it would be like heroin. I mean, yes. Just, and I don't know what heroin is like, but yeah. if heroin was a city, it would be Beijing. I, I would as agree. They say. I would agree with that. Yep. So, this idea to go from university over to China, you said this was just, you had a friend who was going, you're like, I'll try that. Yeah. And they came to Beijing? Yeah. Cause they, they studied Chinese in university. I did not do anything to do with Chinese. I like, or anything to do with China. I studied French. I studied abroad in Italy, but he was like, I'm coming here. And I was like, okay, cool. Never even thought about it. I will also do that. And so, yeah, actually it was him. And then two of our other friends that came over. And you taught English for a year. I taught English actually, I think for maybe, oh, four years, three or four years. That's an interesting subculture in Beijing. It is. It is an interesting so it's like you people consider English teachers like the lowest tier of expat, I think. Which is weird because so many people come over here teaching English and it's it's such a strange, great lifestyle because you have weird hours. Like you have Monday and Tuesday off, and then the rest of the week you work from like two to nine or something like that. And then you work on the weekends, but you make such good friends with other English teachers. And it's great because you have Monday, Tuesday off, which means nobody else is out. So you're like, oh, great. We have this bar to ourselves. This is fantastic. It's a, it's a weird thing in the nightlife areas, like in San Leiton in Beijing, the, these bar streets, they will actually have activity on Monday and Tuesdays yeah. because it's all the English teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's like so many of us have come from being English teachers and then other people are just like, ugh, looking down on English teachers. But you know, that's, that's what you were. I will say, I, <laughs> as someone who is married to uh, an international school teacher, yeah, you will find people who will say, I have heard them say, 
Oh, you're a teacher? Yeah, I'm a real teacher, though. Yeah. You get that a lot. Yeah. Which, which, which kind of raises my, my back a little bit because, like, you know, that's how my, my wife got started. Well, not, no, she's got started as a kindergarten teacher, but it was, it was the same kind of road. Yeah. Where you come in and there's just all these schools looking for teachers. Yeah. And either you're an English teacher or you're, they throw you in a kindergarten or whatever. And that's how she gets started. Everyone yeah. gets started that way. Yeah. A or, lot of people get started that way. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, that's fine. If that's what you wear, that's great. And a lot of, and then people, I think they kind of make the decision. I think there are three paths from the beginning of an English teacher. You either continue on to teach English for the rest of your life. And maybe I've met a couple of really weird old English teachers who don't have any type of teaching certification. They just, their quality or their only qualification is that they can speak English. Or the second path is people are like, okay, I actually like teaching. I want to get a teaching certification. And then they become quote unquote real teachers. Or the third path is they're like, oh, I don't like teaching at all. I want to try and find something else to do. And then they, they move into another career. Yeah. This was always the pathway I would suggest to people when yeah. I first got here. I, or after my first few years, I would say, cause I knew a lot of people who started as English teachers and then they find work. Like mm-hmm. one of the things I tell people when they ask me, Oh, I, I, how can I move overseas? And how do I find a job? And it's like, well, you're never going to find a job till you get here. Yeah. So bite the bullet, teach English for a year, like commit to that. Yeah. You come over whatever country, China, we know, but like whatever country can do this, just teach English for a year while you're on the ground, you'll meet people, you'll make connections. You'll be part of the foreigner scene and you could plug in and you will find work in whatever field you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. 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 Unless you're already established in a professional, in a profession and you somehow get transferred over yes. here with your company yeah. or you find something in that industry. Really, if you just want to move overseas, that's kind of a really safe and easy way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you came over, you're the small town girl who learned to love living in the big city. And then you came <laughs> over to an even bigger city. Mm-hmm. So what was the, do you remember the time when you thought, man, I just can't go back. Like, I want to stay. I think, I can't remember a specific time, but now more and more, every time I go back, because I go back once a year, maybe once every two years. So every time I go back, it's more and more like, oh, I don't think I can ever live here, like in the US. Because Beijing allows you to be your inner weirdest self. And I'm a super weird person. And so coming to Beijing was just like, wow, I am extremely weird. I just want to say I'm so glad podcasting is an audio only medium. I mean, this weirdness is just radiating off. Of I know, you. I know you should see what I'm wearing. It's just this whole weird thing. So yeah, so every time I go back, people in the beginning they were like, "Okay, when are you coming home?" and I was like, "Oh, you know, I think I'll give it one more year and see." And then more and more when I go back, less and less people are asking me that because they're realizing like, "Okay, she's probably going to never come home. And then once in a while, I'll still have a friend that's like holding out hope that I'm still going to come back. And I'm like, hey, I have a dog here. All my good friends are here. I own a company here. Like, I don't, I don't think I can go back. Yeah. Yeah. So how has that made you feel about those relationships versus the relationships here? Do you still have close friends you're in touch with back in the US? Yeah, I have a couple of close friends. Um, maybe one or two from high school and then a couple from college. And it's those friendships that like, we don't talk often and we don't talk regularly, but every time I go back, I will see them. And it's just like old times, you know, it's so easy. I feel like everyone's got a couple of those, but it's, it's, it's one of the kind of truisms of living overseas is that you have this, you know, you're going to have a whole bunch of friends 
And the, 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 the illusion that social media gives you these days is you're like, oh, I'm going to go and I can just pull up my phone and be in touch with them all right away. And they'll see what I'm doing and I'm posting. But very soon your experience starts to diverge from what life is like yeah. back where you came from. Yeah. And there's a lack of relation. They can't keep up. I actually had a friend tell me he specifically, he didn't want, did not want to hear about what I was doing. Like oh, why? Very, I don't know. He, he thought he thought I was making it up, uh, or he thought I was embellishing. Like yeah. I, I remember, I sent, I, I had this weird date that I went on, and I was just sending an email to my buddies and like just a small little email group, and just kind of telling this crazy story, and like, oh, very surreal. Like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, yeah. I think I was still in my first year or my second year, and uh, he replied back, and he was just like, you know, I don't want to hear this. What? Yeah. And I think it That's was... That's strange. Well, I think it's it's just a... Some people can't relate. And they're like, what is this? What are you talking about? Like, that yeah. sounds crazy. Or how does that relate to me? And I don't understand. Like, yeah. I can almost understand like a visceral kind of, this is outside my experience. I don't get this. This isn't the guy I knew. Yeah. And uh, this isn't familiar. And I just don't want to hear this. He might have been drunk. I don't know. But, but, but that was a that's a that's a friend that I don't have anymore. You know, oh, okay. and and I feel like that's an extreme example. But that happens. Yeah, I I think I also. I mean, I can see how different my life is from my friends back home because the only reason I've been going home once a year for the past four years is because I've had a good friend get married, and every time I go home. It's like more and more of my friends are married. Like now they're having babies and I just cannot relate to that because I feel like it's just such a, it's not a path that I thought that I would ever have. And it's not a path that I could ever see myself having where I just settle down in one place, have a stable job, have a family, have a baby or pop out several babies. I don't know. And for me, I'm just like, I love the freedom of, you know, my only child is a furry white dog and I can travel whenever I want and I can go anywhere I want. And I, it's just so much more freedom here. So it's hard for me to relate to them and that stability, I guess. And to me, it seems maybe a little bit boring, but I know it's not boring for them. I'm sure they love it very much. But yeah, I think I can understand if they look at me and they think, wow, what a weird lifestyle. And I look at them and I'm like, wow, what a boring lifestyle. It's just not compatible you know i just can't relate this is something this is something that's come up on other conversations and mm-hmm. i and i want to talk about it a little bit more but let's just take a quick break okay have a breath drink some water and we'll come <gasps> right back and talk more about this okay hi everyone want to hear more about the migrant lifestyle i'm michelle ibarra and i want to give you the tools to live your best life overseas over at my podcast pop abroad season one is all about global communities and the people who have created and nurtured them Pop Abroad is also part of the Migration Media Network. You can find Pop Abroad at migrationmedia.net or wherever you find your podcasts. And we're back. And we were talking about this idea of you going back to your home or your place of origin and people's experience diverging. One of the things that comes up is how living overseas kind of frees you of expectations or more like when you're in your home country or your home, your place of origin, you have these kind of guideposts along the road of mm-hmm. life. No, mm-hmm. You know, people will tell you, you can do whatever you want, but people around you start getting married. They start having kids. They buy the house. They get a job. They get a different kind of job. They, you know, there's, there's kind of a, an accepted or generally understood way that you live your life. And it is represented through all these kind of unconscious little signposts throughout culture and mm-hmm. your neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you come over here, there's nothing. 
Yeah. There's no one telling you what to do. There's no pressure to do anything because everyone's doing whatever. Yeah. And there's no coherent culture that gives you signals. Yeah. So you have to find your own way. It can be disorienting. And even when it isn't disorienting, it serves to confuse the people who are back home because like, why aren't you doing all this stuff that we're doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, being raised in the U.S., yeah, they say, oh, you can do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be. But there is this template kind of that you have to follow. And like I said, get a job, probably get married, you know, maybe have a couple of kids. And then when you go off that template, like when you become an expat, I mean, yeah, it's just like they have no idea, like they can't conceptualize what that's like. And so they ha- they're like, well, are you going to get married? Or are you going to own a home? And I'm also like... I also don't know. I'm just out here floating in Beijing in this weird outer space place. So, but I enjoy the freedom and I enjoy like not being, I think a lot of people do want to have some certainty about their future, but I enjoy not really having that certainty or not feeling like my future is nailed down and I have to go in this one direction. Like I'm just going to, you know, see where it goes. Well, you mentioned one child that you have which is your dog mm-hmm. but you kind of lied you actually have two children oh no the other oh. child is your business yeah so why don't you tell me what your business is and why you didn't think of it as your child was that a failure in your part oh, or did you just forget i'm a bad mom yeah but thank you for bringing that up and i'll give you 100 quiet after <laughs> this podcast uh yeah so that's my other baby is my company um, that I started with my partner, my now business partner, Katie, um, in 2016. So we've been doing it for just about three years. And you're both from overseas. You're both uh, foreigners here in China. Yes, we are. So Two foreign girls starting a business. It's like, and people relate us to like two broke girls, but I think the only similarity is that we are both broke <laughs> and we're girls. And that's it. We're like, oh, two broke girls. No, t- yeah, we're poor for sure, but that's it. Um, yeah, Katie's from the UK. And we met actually for the first time when we moved in together with a mutual friend three years ago. And then, yeah, it's kind of this whole story about how I was this weirdo that she had just met who liked to lay in bed naked, eating nut butter out of the jar. And she was like, this is very strange. Uh, Also, it's an expensive habit. Let's try making some nut butter at home. And then we did that and then it kind of blew up. And now we have this whole company, which is my second child. Actually, it's my first child. My furry child is my second child. And it's naked nut butters. Mm -hmm. How many varieties of nut butter do you make? Well, when we first started, I think we got up to eight because we were blending on our balcony. But now that we have our own factory, we have two kinds. So we have cashew butter and peanut butter. We'll have almond butter soon. And then hopefully we'll expand to all the nuts that you could possibly fit in your mouth. (laughs) Well... Uh, this is not an infomercial, so I don't want to dive too deep into your Buy product. today for just 70 <laughs> RMB. But the reason I was, uh, the reason I asked about this is because I want to understand what changed you from the girl who, the weird girl who is like, I want to hang out in Beijing more. I really love this life. Freewheeling, teaching English, doing the whole whatever to let's start a business. How does that happen in your brain? Yeah. So so I taught English for a few years, but then I worked as like a project manager at an online education company. So that was my segue out of teaching English because I realized, oh, I don't want to be a teacher, but I think it's an easy transition to move to an education company. So I worked as a project manager 
And I also didn't like that. Like I, education was never my passion and I know it's super important, but I would hear my manager get really excited about this new curriculum. And I was just like, Oh, is that exciting? I feel like it's not very exciting, but okay. I mean, it was a stable paycheck and that was great. And so I always thought that I was a type of person, you know, they say there are two types of people, people who live to work and people who work to live. And I was like, okay, I just work to live. Like I'll do my nine to five so that I can have a stable salary and, you know, travel and do other things that I enjoy. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, we kind of started the company that I was like, oh my God, I actually do have a passion for something. And it is peanut butter, as weird as that sounds, but I'm very passionate about peanut butter. And, and it was a lot of fun building the company. I mean, it's so hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it's also been the most fun. So I think that was my transition of realizing that I did have a passion for something and I could turn that into my work. How does a passion for peanut butter manifest itself in one's life? Is it the act of sitting naked and eating nut butters? Is mean, does someone just say, hey, you know, not a lot of people do that. You must really like that. And you're like, I guess I do. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. I heard some interesting random fact that I could also just be making up right now, but it's like this Japanese maybe it's not even Japanese, this idea that your blood type kind of dictates what food you have, uh, like like you prefer. This sounds like science. Yeah, it's de- it's uh, coming from almost Dr. Meredith. I can tell you that this is science, and I'm about to lay some science on you. So, like, for example, one blood type, maybe you um, prefer vegetables, and another blood type, fruit, another, like, meats. I think that there's like a peanut butter blood type. I don't even know what blood type I am, which is bad to say. I've asked my mom and she also doesn't know. But I think my blood type is peanut butter. So like I've always loved peanut butter. I could eat a whole jar of it, you know, no problem. I'm obsessed with like finding different kinds of nut butter, like all different kinds of nuts. Just, I don't know, there's something about it that I can't stop myself from eating it. And some people like lay in bed and they watch TV and they eat like a tub of ice cream. I'll just lay in bed and eat a tub of nut butter because I'm just gross. <laughs> <laughs> You're gross. Yeah. Okay. You're a disgusting person. We, yes. we get that. Yeah. So the process of starting a business as a foreigner in China, this I imagine can't be easy. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, uh, so, so I've started a business, mm-hmm. uh, but I, my business, I just, you know, went online and registered a company in Delaware and all of a sudden nice. I can sell ad time on podcasts. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah. easy, right? But you had to navigate this incredibly difficult regulatory environment mm-hmm. all while being someone who, you know, isn't Chinese. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like, especially in the beginning, like when you when you're working on, you know, when you're doing your mad scientist thing in the kitchen with your partner and you're like, oh, this is a nut butter and people might like this. Mm-hmm. How do you go from there? Like, what is the actual practical process going from there to this is now something we're going to do and make a living at? And how do you do it legally? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, so this isn't super exciting, but so we, yeah, we did start it. And if you make something in your kitchen and you sell it, you can sell it at like small flea markets. Beijing loves small flea markets, that kind of thing. I mean, that's not totally legal. Um, so we started doing that and people started really liking it and buying more and more of it. And we were like, okay, I think we can make this a real thing. But in order to do so, we need to be legal. What kind of company do we want to be? There are 
different types of companies. And we decided we didn't want to find a Chinese partner because we wanted to own it just ourselves because we started it. It was our, you know, child together. So we wanted it to just be owned by us. So you can have a foreign company. Um, so what we did, we, we had to register a parent company in Hong Kong. Uh, we ended up setting up a factory in Sichuan. So then we registered our foreign company in Sichuan. But to give yourselves visas, you know, if you want to get a visa to live in Beijing, you have to have a branch of your company in Beijing. So then we had to register that. And it's about finding office space and working with so many different agents and paying all these different fees. And and they're asking you all these questions like, you know, what kind of food manufacturer do you want to be? And you're like, I want to be the food manufacturer kind of food manufacturer. I don't know. It's like all these things that you have to figure out as you go along the way. And, you know, you can ask so many different people who've done it before, but everyone has a different piece of advice. But the nice thing about about Beijing is that the at least the F&B community is really solid here. And most people are very willing to help each other out. So, I mean, I don't think we could have done it without asking, begging for help from so many people who are willing to give us advice on this. And then we finally figured it out and we got all of our certifications and licenses and all that stuff. And so that took a long time and it was expensive, but we managed to do it. Did you feel like you were, did you feel like there were artificial roadblocks put up in front of you because you're foreigners? Not artificial roadblocks. I mean, it did take a little more time and it took a little bit more money because we are foreigners. Um, The systems just aren't designed to accommodate you. So you have to figure out things on your own. Yeah. And it's also just a matter of fact of like, eventually, you know, we, we want foreign investment or we think we can get foreign investment. So we have to have a company outside of China just for ease of that matter. And it's like a lot of different details that just made it more sense for us to open it as foreigners. Um, but yeah, then it's a bit more convoluted. Whereas if you're a Chinese person opening a company here, I imagine it's the same as you from the US just online opening a company in, in Delaware. You know, it's just a lot easier, a lot more straightforward. You should have just opened a company in Delaware. I should have, but then we wouldn't have been able to issue ourselves visas here That's and true. there's more, you know, taxes. Yeah. You want to be legal and stuff too. Yeah. 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 So what does the future look like for you? I mean, you've got this business and lords know what'll happen, but do you see yourself sticking with this for a while? With the company or with this city? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of had a timeline in my mind that okay I would do Beijing for 10 years and then go elsewhere and I'm on my as, eighth, so, as someone as year. someone who's done 11 let me just say you never set out thinking I 10 know years. I know <laughs> well it's because I, I started out thinking one year and then I was like I'll do two and after two I was like five seems like a good number and after five I was like 10 is a number I as think well the, just shoot for a zodiac cycle yes so yeah. you 12 that's just good do the whole thing could could do my could go through the whole cycle so i kind of begged my wife can we just stay one more year just so i can get the full zodiac yeah. cycle but she won't she's not buying wow, it. that's that's pretty rude yeah. but um my, my needs what about my needs yeah <laughs> i need to see what is it next year anyway what what animal i don't even know and I, you'll never know that's because right. you won't be here <laughs> um but yeah, so now that I have this company, I'm dedicated to making this company work. I think we want to get it to the point where obviously we're going to sell it for tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Easy. To some global conglomerate that specializes in nut butters. Of course, of course. And then until that happens, I'll stay in Beijing, or at least I'll stay in China. I could move to another city, but for now, I still love Beijing. But it's indefinite. I have no idea how long I'm going to stay here. I have no idea how much longer we're going to be having this company for. It's only been three years, so it hasn't been that long. 
Um, so I haven't really put a timeline on anything. I'm just floating. Well, well, that's interesting. So you've shifted now from someone who's thinking, I'll stay a little bit longer, a little bit longer to now it's not about the staying here. It's about the business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it is it is my baby. So I have to help my baby grow big and strong and then sell my baby for tens of millions of dollars as one does. <laughs> So you mentioned that the F&B community uh, has been very, very helpful, and it's mm-hmm. a very tight community. I'm lucky enough that I've been here long enough, and I know a lot of guys in the F&B community, yeah. more in the restaurant scene than in yeah. the actual food-making scene. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk a little about the difference in the communities between, say, the English teachers and the F&B people? Do you find that the English teachers are a little more fly-by-night, loosey-goosey, and the F&B people are a little more serious, or oh, am God. I misreading that? I would say they're both fly-by-night, loosey-goosey. But, I mean, because they both have weird schedules, right? Like English teachers have don't have off on the weekends. F&B people also have to work on the weekends typically, but... It's kind of like, um, depending on where you're at in the stage of F&B and your business, like you mostly work all the time because especially if you own a company or you own a restaurant, like you have to be working constantly. So, but your schedule is also more flexible. Like for me, I'm here doing a podcast today and then I'll go to take a meeting afterwards. So I can kind of make my schedule how I want it to be. I mean, you would literally reading messages on your phone and scribbling things in your book up until I pressed record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like to, I have to schedule my life down to the minute because I have so many different things going on and, and I just have to do that. And I think, you know, a lot of F&B people have to do that. But they're also, because they do have more freedom, I think some of them are a bit wild too, but it's fun. I think F&B is like super fun and they're a tight community as well. So maybe you'll go to you know, you have so many friends that own restaurants, you go there and they hook you up with drinks and food and you go to hang out. And it's just, it's just, it's a lot more fun, I would say. Yeah. One of the other shows on our network called Pop Abroad, they talk, it's basically all about community this season. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting more and more interested as I listen. And I'm tr- like, you're the, you're one of the few people I've, I've spoken to who has kind of I don't want to say identified, but you've mentioned it a couple of times mm-hmm. about the community that you were involved in in the in both phases of your life. Yeah. And, and I'm hearing a lot of resonance in that and how important it is to survive here. Like, you know, when you move overseas, especially when you're obviously when you're coming from a place that is nothing like where you where you've moved to, yeah. you're very disoriented and you've got to find an anchor and a support system. And, and where do you find it? But in community. Yeah, yeah. And how important is that to you to feel like this is home? You talked about, I feel like Beijing is home. I'm going home. How how much of of that feeling comes from the fact that you've made these connections through community? Yeah, it's, it's like a super big part because, I mean, I... I would have never come to China by myself in the first place. And I totally respect people who do because it's a foreign country, a foreign language. I would have just cried and gone home. But coming here with, you know, three of my friends, one who was a really good friend who is still here, that was important to me. And then growing that community within the English teachers, that was really important. And that held me here for longer. And I think the reason why I've been here for so long is because of the deep connections and friendships I've made and having like settled myself into a community and being a part of a community. So it makes me feel like I'm more at home because I didn't really have that community back in the US. Like I don't, you know, I don't work back there. So I don't have colleagues. I have a couple of friends, but mostly I don't have a set community there. Um, so all my community feeling is, is here in, in Beijing. So I think that's yeah, definitely why I've stayed here for so long. I can't. Can you imagine going back, like Mm-mm. having to go back and, and reestablish yourself? I don't know and- what I would do. I'd have to curse a lot less. I every time I go back, 
all my friends, I was always the loud kind of weird one. But every time I go back, they're like, Meredith, you need to chill. Stop saying the F word. My grandma is here. And I'm like, fuck your grandma. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're like, you need to curse less. Maybe bring, you know, the volume down a little bit. And you can't, because here, I mean, people kind of say and do whatever they want and just feel free to be weird. But I can't imagine being any less weird. When I go back and visit my hometown, my something happens in my jaw and my 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 accent gets even thicker than it oh, usually yeah, is. Because yeah. when you're in China, you just have to slow down and enunciate. So yes. it kind of naturally flattens out whatever you got. Yeah. But when I go back to Boston or even anywhere in the U.S., something happens when I get off that plane and my wife will be like, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> what is this about clam chowder? Park and, the car. And, and then, oh. that's pretty good. Thank you. And then on top of that, I don't know if you've ever seen Goodwill Hunting or mm-hmm. The Departed or anything yep. like that. They, we swear a lot in yeah. Boston. Oh, a lot okay. of F-bombs. Okay. And so it's kind of the exact opposite with, yeah. with you. Like, I tend to swear less when I'm here. Oh. And, but when I go home, it's just F-bombs everywhere. Okay. So if I do move back to the U.S., I have to move to Boston. That You'll fit right in. Okay. Because there's no other choice. Because I just have a terrible, terrible potty mouth. I don't know where I got it from, but yeah, it's bad. <laughs> well, um, I know you've scheduled down to the minute, and this has been super exciting. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Queen and owner of Naked Nut Butter, Meredith Sides, thank you very much for coming on Migratory Pines. We appreciate you sharing your story. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Please check out the show notes for links to more information about my guest and to reach out with questions, feedback, and interview suggestions. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave us a like on your favorite podcatcher. Migratory Patterns is a production of Migration Media and is executive produced by me. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Migration Media production. To learn more about the lives of international migrants and see our lineup of shows, visit us at migrationmedia.net or look for us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.